0: Hi, and welcome to The Final Report, where HMC Investigations teams up with former criminal defense attorney, Fletcher Long, and author and research specialist, Tracy Ellis, to discuss real-life cases. Some episodes are live and some are not, but don't worry, we want to hear from you. For questions and comments, please send an email to podcast at gmail.com.
1: Hey, Fletcher, Tracy, what's up, guys? Hey, Heather. It's a long time no year.
0: <laughs> That's a joke, you guys, because Tracy and I spend like hours upon hours talking a day. <laughs> so how was your week, Fletcher?
2: Well, I'm in the busiest time of the year for me as a sports writer. I, I have an online magazine called Kentucky Prep Gridiron, which you can access by going to www.kentuckyprepgridiron.com. On Twitter, we're at KPG Football. And it's playoff time in the KHSAA and the TSSAA, and I I cover some Tennessee teams, too, that are right on the border, and contiguous to Kentucky. And so it's really been busy, busy time for me. We're we're a subscription-based online magazine that covers middle and high school football, and so we've we've done a middle school All-State team. We've uh, been covering the playoffs. I, I do a segment called Inside the Numbers, where I break down statistically the teams playing each other and forecast a score.
0: Hell, yeah, that sounds really cool. I bet that's fun. Um,
1: what about you, Tracy? What did you do this week? Uh, I spent the week crocheting an ear muff for my little boxer dog because she does not like wind in her ears.
0: Oh, <laughs> you're such a good dog, mom. I had a normal week, I guess. It was pretty busy. Um I worked and uh, did homework and um, ran the business and Got everything uploaded to the platform to get you guys ready for the case today. So uh, we're talking about Raquel Jackson today from Louisville, Kentucky. And are you guys ready? I am ready.
2: Yes, you don't you don't want to forget this week you were also fielding numerous phone calls from mid-admirers.
0: Oh my God, don't even get me started <laughs> on bringing that. Bringing
2: out the crazy.
0: <laughs> I mean, seriously, like what would make somebody think just because you have a business line that it's okay to call all hours of the night just to chit-chat, like random people that I've never met in my life. It's fucking crazy. But anyway, as much as I'm sure everybody would love to hear about all my drama, today we're going to be talking about the brutal slaying of Raquel Kelly Jackson and her unborn son. Um, If you're following us on Facebook or Twitter, you may have already visited the blog and familiarized yourself with the main facts of the case. If not, you can go there now to follow along. This can be found at HMC Investigations at uh, at the website, www.hmcinvestigations.com. And if you click on the top right tab that says the final report uh, podcast, um, there you'll find the blog with uh, the bullet points of the main facts. So Tracy, do you want to go ahead and catch everybody up to speed on the facts of the case?
1: I'm going to read a little bit from a family member before I get into the particulars of the case. She was a cheerleader, a friend, and a sister. She was just captivating, inner beauty, outer beauty. She always saw the best in anybody. I would give anything to see that smile again and talk to her again and sit down and have coffee with her and share some memories of the last 12 years. Kelly was stabbed to death, eight months pregnant. She had just come from a doctor's appointment and had a sonogram that day. She was scheduled to go in and work at Big Hop's Diner. She did go in, and Big Hop said they didn't need her that that day, so she went home. Her three-year-old son, little Mikey, was at a relative's home, and um so she just went home and she was talking to a friend about how the baby's father and we'll refer to him as William for legal purposes um had attended the doctor's appointment that day uh William says he did not go that day and that he hasn't hadn't spoken to Kelly quite a while. The neighbor across the hall went to work, and he noticed her her door to her apartment was open. And then when he came back, he saw that it was open, still open. And he went down to the, um, the leasing office, and they found her curled up in a pool of blood in her uh, son's room. There was a shoe print on the front door. William and Kelly... Had not had the best relationship to say the least. She had a protective order against him and she had uh, filled out paperwork to move into a women's shelter. And she was also supposed to testify in court against William.
0: Thanks, Tracy. Um, Fletcher, do you mind taking a moment to explain our suspect's criminal history?
1: Before I get
2: into his criminal record, I, I just want to comment. It's very curious to me that the the department investigating this, which and it's an ongoing investigation, so I'm going to refer to William as the target. But it's it, it's it's I don't I'm kind of incredulous as to why they wouldn't have gone to a judge with an application for a search warrant and said, Your Honor, we've got several reasons to believe that the target is the murderer. Uh, we One re, reason, A, she was set to testify against him in a criminal case where he had exposure to incarceration. Nibet B, uh, he was the subject of a protective order she had sought and obtained where she was the victim against him. Uh, they had a child uh, together, uh, and she had uh, told somebody that she she had applied. She'd made an application for protection from him to, to move into a, a women's shelter. And there's a footprint Uh, on the door where it looked like there was injury forced and she was found dead in uh, the three-year-old child's room having been having died from multiple stab wounds and we would like your honor to issue us a search warrant because we believe that if we went in and executed a search warrant at his house you got to describe the location you're searching we're going to go to his where he's living we're going to execute the search warrant and you got to describe the thing that you're going to recover we think that we can find shoes that we can match uh, the grid to uh, the door, and 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 we believe that we'll be able to prove that he is the uh, likely killer. And I I don't see how a judge—you just have to show there's probable cause. It's more likely than not to believe that you will find evidence that will match him up to this crime scene. I don't know why you wouldn't get a warrant there to to go and and uh, get that uh, to go through his shoes. Now now one one reason police don't do something like that is oh my god what if we go there and he doesn't have a single shoe there that matches the grid print now now we've just given the defense we've got to turn that over because it tends to exonerate him and under the brady uh material we got to give that to the defense if they require if they require to be provided brady material we're going to have to give it to them so maybe maybe we don't do that because we're scared that we won't find anything that links him to the door but that generally is not done When they've already decided they're going to prosecute, and here, uh, the you know, much time has elapsed between her death and now, and it doesn't look like they're, it doesn't look to the casual observer that they're going to even prosecute. So it it makes me wonder why they haven't done that. I just wanted to throw that in. But getting to his record, which is what you asked me about, this guy had served five years for trafficking narcotics. Uh, He's been twice charged with reckless homicide. One of them was set for trial at the trial, the two eyewitnesses that saw him shoot the victim in the head and kill her were their credibility was was successfully attacked, or so the government believed it was successfully attacked. So they settled the case on a reckless homicide. It was pled down from murder to reckless homicide. His other reckless homicide conviction resulted from him driving drunk and killing someone, uh, which is a reckless homicide. that wasn't pled down. That that prob- those facts support a reckless homicide. He was the subject to a protective order that she obtained, identifying him as someone from whom she should be protected. Um, he uh, had some misdemeanor uh, violations uh, uh, for failure to appear and failure to pay fines. Um, and uh, his incidentally, the, the murder charge that was pled down to reckless homicide on time served, he had already served 18 months awaiting uh, trial, I suppose. And um, so, ba- basically, he had the inclination to commit such an offense. I mean, he had killed before. A reckless homicide still is pleading to a homicide. He had killed before, and he had motive. You know, the, the motive, first of all, if, if he's caught in her apartment complex, if he's admitted to being in her apartment, com- or her apartment complex at any time, whether it's the day of the murder or not, he's violated the protective order, I would imagine. Now, I haven't, I haven't seen the protective order, but I would imagine that it encompassed where she was living, that he wouldn't to come about the apartment complex where she resided. I don't think he could come to the apartment complex without violating the protective order. And so he's already violated the protective order. If he's been around her, he certainly has violated the protective order. He's subject to immediate incarceration for that. She's the witness against him in a case where he's subject to being incarcerated. Uh, and uh, she obtained a protective order against him in the first place and is going to leave him. And is going to leave him with a child born to them that was, that was of his making that he's going to end up having for which to pay support. So there's various and a sundry motives that are sufficient to indicate him as a suspect in this case. And I'm not telling you, I, you know, I'm a former attorney, but I still have a doctorate in jurisprudence. And when I was an attorney for nearly 20 years, I tried some 200 criminal jury trials. So these are the things that appear to me when I look at his record.
0: Yeah, those are all really good points, Fletcher. Um, In addition to what you see on his record, we've also got cases where he was a suspect, um, or if he wasn't uh, a suspect, he certainly should have been. Um, one being that of uh, Nicole Gowdy, um, who was at the time a love interest of uh, Williams. And um, later on, you'll hear a clip from my interview with him where we do discuss this a little, and he does admit um, that he was at her house the night that she was murdered. Um, He says that He was at her house, she had gone out to the club, um, so he left her house, Um, but uh, she had been at the club, she left with another guy, and her and that other man were found shot to death on the front porch of a western Kentucky home. There was also another girl that William had dated that was killed in a suspicious car accident. Um, I'm not sure the exact details of that, but from what I was told, uh, a witness says that um, prior to that accident, which it looked like she had been run off the road, um, that William had called her dozens of times and also called her dozens of times after she ran off the road, um, but that he didn't stop because he had drugs on him. Then, of course, there's the um, case where uh, he had been charged with capital murder, and later they dropped that charge down to reckless homicide and let him go with time served, which was a total of uh, no more than 18 months. Um, The details of that case, as I understand them, is that William... uh, he was a drug dealer and, um, there was a woman, she was a crack addict and she was looking to score some drugs. She met up with William. Uh, she examined the drugs and she decided she didn't want it. It's, uh, it was bunk. So, um, she told him she didn't want it. He put a gun to her head and dem- demanded that she, um, give him her money. She refused. So he pulled the trigger, shot her in the head, and dumped her body in Shawnee Park. And
2: and and Heather, my understanding is, is that they had two witnesses that were at trial and testifying consistent with what you just said.
0: That's my understanding, too. Um, you know, of all the cases that I discussed with him that day in the interview, uh, the case that I felt like he may have implicated himself the most in is actually that of Nicole Gowdy.
2: Well, well, now, let, let me interject here, if, if you don't mind. It's my understanding that he made a reference in a letter to Kelly along the lines, uh, kind of referencing uh, the, the, the girlfriend who was 28 who was, quote-unquote, stepping out on him. And, and my understanding is he made a reference along the lines of, you know, you don't want to put me in a position where I recreate that event for you, with you being the victim. It's interesting because, you know, I I was involved in the uh, defense of Arthur March, the late Arthur March, who was the father of Perry March and the Janet Levine March disappearance murder trial. And there was an inordinate amount of time that uh, expired between the death of Janet March and Perry March and Arthur ultimately being tried. And one of the things that hurt Perry, who was an attorney in America who had been disbarred, went down to Mexico and was kind of practicing law for the expatriates uh, in Mexico, sans a license. But, you know, when you're in Mexico, they don't really care if you have an American law license or not. But but he was down there practicing law for expatriates, and there was a an issue about his bill not being paid. And his comment to that person, as my memory serves, was along the lines of, you know, I, I'll take care of you like I took care of Janet. <laughs> you know. And so it's not uncommon for someone who thinks they've gotten away with a murder like the target here to make a comment to uh, a subsequent even victim along the lines of, if you mess with me here, I can do the same thing to you that I did to this person.
0: Yep. And we see it so many times. Actually, the case that brought us together that we talked about in our introduction, um, uh, Zach Adams had um, relayed a message through a prisoner, at least it attempted to relay a message um, through a prisoner who turned out to be, um, uh, you know, reported it, handed it over to law enforcement, but um, was trying to get a message to his brother to tell his brother to shut his mouth or he'd put him... Uh, in. Yeah, he put him in the hole next to Holly. So, um, yeah, it seems to be a fairly common tactic of people who um, murder and get away with it to kind of use that to intimidate other people.
2: And I want to throw in, too, Heather, because you and I talked about this off-air, but I asked you whether or not this this gentleman was involved in, in, or, in, in an organized criminal outfit. And by that, I meant a, was he a member of the Crip Street Gang, the Blood Street Gang, a gangster disciple and you said it was your understanding through investigating him and his background that he was, that explains kind of a lot about this guy. It explains, it explains why, if, you know, if his lawyer, for instance, if his lawyer, they're at trial, and he's thoroughly discredited the eyewitnesses and the cases so infirm that the prosecution is willing to offer him reckless homicide with time served, if somebody that's not a sophisticated criminal may say, well, I don't want that reckless homicide, on my uh record you know because that's going to hurt me here 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 but in the world in which this target circulated having a criminal record is a is a boon and not a disadvantage um it's it murders yeah i mean it gives him the street cred that 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 he would want so it's not it's not it's not a a a, a hindrance to him and so That would explain exactly why it is that uh, he would jump on this reckless homicide because he's already convicted of killing someone. Uh, He, uh, time served, you know, he's already done time. You know, he did five years for trafficking narcotics. Another thing that gives him a badge of honor in the circle in which he regularly uh, habits. So I, I just wanted to throw that out there because this explains why he would threaten someone. He's used to manipulating people. He's used to bending them. By use of fear and terror, in in terrorum tactics, if you will, he's used to using those type of tactics to 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 uh, make people malleable to what he wants to
0: do. Exactly, and so we see all this motive here, and then you know clearly from his record, we see he's certainly capable
2: to to kill someone that he believes to be cheating on him is is his modus operandi. It's an established mo for him.
0: It sure seems to be. So then we have, you know, um, the May 2002 domestic assault for physically assaulting Kelly. And then uh, January of 2003, he's charged with second degree burglary, um, which, a little fun fact of that is that Kelly had been subpoenaed and was expected to testify against William in the case on July 15, 2003. And, you know, since I, I assume that since there were no witnesses, And that must be the reason why on July 15th, 2003, obviously after Kelly is dead, these charges are dismissed. Um, and then also, uh, another side note is that, um, in February of 2008, you know, some five years after Kelly's death, um, William is charged again with domestic assault on, I assume a new girlfriend and, uh, You know, in those same batch of charges, you also see where he is uh, intimidating a participant in the legal process, which kind of gives us an idea why maybe nobody wants to say anything. Um, You know, nobody wants to testify and speak up against this guy. And then lastly, we have this most recent case where he was drinking and driving and uh, there was a guy on a on a bike And uh, they had an accident. And so the guy on the bike died and um, William was charged with reckless homicide. And uh, I believe the civil suit is still pending. So um, with that being said, that brings us to the point in our podcast where uh, I think we're ready to play some audio clips from uh, my interview with William last summer. So um, Tracy, would you go ahead and just read us some excerpts from the letters, please?
1: Quote, Kelly, there's no other chicks in my life besides you and my sister. But I would like to say, you do remember how I got Nicole off my mind. And to be honest, I don't know if I will have to do the same for you. But even if I see you with your dude, I won't trip. I promise, homie, I got too much respect for you and too much pride for myself to trip over a female. So now, Kelly, I mean, I know I don't even have to say this because you're going to do your thing regardless. But now, baby, you can act like Nike and just do it.
0: I just have to say real quick that listening to you read that is probably, it just makes my day. It's probably the funniest thing I've heard. If Even if I see you with y'all, dude.
1: (laughs) Yeah. The old white lady trying to talk um, homie. Wait, wait till you hear the next part. In another letter, William expresses his inability to sleep and says that he can't get the thought of Kelly getting her back knocked out by other men out of his head.
2: I've heard I've heard of I've heard of getting the back knocked out of it, but I don't know that I've never I don't know that I've ever yeah,
1: heard Yeah, I've never of, quite heard it put that way, but uh I don't know. Okay, now listen, listen though. The the last part, even though my whiteness is coming through the part about getting her back knocked out by other men Dot out of his head. Yeah, that's pretty damning.
0: So I'm going to go ahead and get ready to play these clips for you. Before I do, I just want to mention that um, I, uh, when, I, when I went to Louisville to question the suspect, I did take a friend along. He's a great guy. Uh, Tracy and I met him last summer when we were um, doing some work on the Crystal Rogers case. And Sammy Johnson is just an all-around great guy. He was always um, right beside Tommy Ballard every time they would go to search for Crystal. And for those of you who don't know the case, which I'm sure a lot of you don't, um, uh, Crystal, after she disappeared, um, her dad, Tommy, just... um, just spent every waking moment trying to find his daughter and he was getting really close. uh, I I think, and everybody seems to believe that he was getting really close to the truth and that he was on the edge of really exposing the people who did it. And um, lo and behold, uh, he was shot and killed um, in a sniper situation and uh, it's yet to be solved. But Sammy, um, hasn't given up and he's still out there carrying on, you know, Tommy's work and, uh, very bravely, I might add, and he's had plenty of threats and, um, but he just, he, he, uh, is up- upholding, um, what he believes to be his promise and his obligation to his late friend, Tommy Ballard. So, um, when we went to Louisville and I, uh, I reached out to, our uh suspect and um was trying to set up a time and place to meet him, he suggested Shawnee Park. Um, which if you remember is where he had um dumped the body of uh I I believe his first victim, but I guess I how would I know that? Could have been his 20th, I don't know, but anyway, um, yeah he had dumped her body in Shawnee Park and We, Sammy and I really felt like that was an indirect threat.
2: That was absolutely a message to you. That's absolutely what, that's exactly why he did it. Yeah.
0: Well, needless to say, we did not end up meeting him at the park. We met him at his mother's house. And um, with that being said, I am going to go ahead and cue up these clips. Uh, It's about a five minute audio. And as soon as it's finished, we'll come back and discuss our thoughts and our uh, theories. So here we go. When asked about the emergency orders of protection and the history of domestic assault with Kelly, as well as her seeking refuge at the women's shelter, this is what William had to say.
3: Now, I did do some foolish, something foolish. Uh, I, the, the most craziest thing I did was I put some Snickers in a tank. Nah, I'm I'll uh,
1: fuck the
3: car, up. Mm-hmm. but she ended up getting her car fixed, and money was real tight. And I kept asking her, "How'd you get your car fixed, Kelly? How'd you get your car fixed?"
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And she told me, "The guys around the corner, the uh, foreigners, uh, that it was it's a little store over there. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, Is it still there?
3: Yeah, the, behind the bingo, the arcade store.
0: Did the same people own it still? You know."
3: I don't know. I, I haven't been, but the thing about it is, it made me. And I done heard a, a couple of other situations with females and foreigners and uh, the way that they were saying. Talking
0: that, about foreigners like Mexicans?
3: Like, yeah, Mexicans, Arabs. You know, the way you know that Kelly died with the knife. They say sh- they they use his the knives. They so this is the. I'm just giving you something where that's been pondering on my head.
0: You're not going to like this, but I have to ask. The EOPs.
3: When we got into it?
0: I think she had, like, two or three against you. Why? And, like, even filling out application to go stay in a shelter. You know, she was, like, when she got killed, she was actually in the works of, of like, going to live in a women's shelter. Supposedly you know to hide from you. Yeah, right.
3: I mean, that's what say, it like, said. She... Okay, if I'm moving away.
1: But what was I, I mean? was
3: I was what? selling drugs. Okay. Listen, so, I'm the bread. Yeah. She like she would tell people that why did she ask why did you have to move in uh 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 the fucking apartments over there those cheap ass ragged ass apartments yeah. because you had an eviction Kelly right. you did these things yeah. when I leave you know I'm not gonna lie to you look
0: mm-hmm.
3: if you're my baby mother. If, I'm, if I got you pregnant, got you knocked up, mm-hmm. I got you. I'm not worried about you yeah. right now. You understand what I'm... Yeah. This is where I'm trying to really come from. Yeah, she I, ain't going nowhere. Nowhere.
0: Right. In my mind,
3: that's what it was. Now, to even... And I would never even imagine Kelly fucking somebody else mm-hmm. pregnant. Kelly was yeah. mixed. And yeah. she had... She gave me the white side of life. And I, I loved it. I, yeah. <laughs> it was... I trusted the shit out of
0: him. To refresh his memory, I decided to quote some of the letters I had read that he had written to Kelly from jail. Um, you're tossing, and turning. And you can't sleep at night. You can't stop thinking about her getting her oh. back knocked out. Yeah, that's Back knocked out. Very that's, cute. That's Very cute. jail.
3: That's jail shit.
0: After several minutes of bantering back and forth about what was said in the letters and what was actually meant in them, He gets sentimental for a moment and then circles back around to the conversation about Big Hops being the biological brother of the woman that he had done time a couple years before for uh, reckless homicide. This is what he says. Seriously,
3: she was my soulmate. Mm -hmm. Like, when she died, I went into cartoon land everybody and I'm still there a little bit like everybody was a fucking cartoon mm-hmm. I couldn't believe it like mm-hmm. where did this come from mm-hmm. and if Big Hobbs thinks that I did something to his sister mm-hmm. or if any of them I never did nothing to your sister mm-hmm. I don't didn't even know the lady mm-hmm. never even knew her and the police it's like they threw that shit on me I swear to God they threw it on me the whole time I couldn't believe it the whole time I was in jail so when they when they offered me how the fuck do you go from capital murder to one year credit time service We're
0: Right. are
3: gonna let you out today right sign here and you're getting out yeah.
0: today I used to I don't even know this lady yeah
3: and you sat in the jail you fight you fight oh no right now I'm, I'm taking so, care of my children
0: I mean, my mind's just going a million miles a minute. All right, so we're talking about Nicole. We're talking about Beatrice. We're talking about, and we're talking about uh, Kelly. Um, I mean, that does look like okay. If it wasn't you, and pardon me for saying that, but then could could it be somebody that's after you? I mean, obviously, like your girls you? are showing up dead. Why is, why is somebody killing all your girls?
3: No, listen, listen. A lot of people know too, as well. You know, Nicole died with someone else. Right. those people were having problems Nicole was at the wrong place at the wrong time
0: was she at home
3: no she was out with another guy she died with another guy
0: I thought it happened like at, at her house
3: no I was at home um, I was you were at her house <laughs> no I was I was at a house and I had went home seeing she had na- she had went out to a club and she left from the club and went with a guy um, and there was some other things going on with those people
0: gotcha. they were they
3: were at that I had no, who, I had no clue what guy she left with. Mm-hmm. I had no clue where they were at. I had, no, yeah, it was not. No, but not sound like
2: fun. <laughs>
1: no.
2: Listening to that commentary again wow. has, you know, uh, developed in me some some commentary of my own. If, mm-hmm. if you guys want to hear it, yeah, we want to hear it. Go ahead. First of all, this guy's this guy's a career street. I mean, this guy's. This guy's been in the streets since probably teenage years as a drug dealer. Uh, He's started out, he'll, I bet you if I talked to this guy for any length of time, he would start describing uncles and cousins, Mm -hmm. which is, which is crip language or blood language for people higher up in the enterprise than he, uh, his commentary about the police just throw shit on him, you know? Is very common commentary in the streets among people who want you to believe that they're the hapless victim of the deep state. <laughs> that that's the deep state theory when you're not white and you're not Republican. Is the police are just out there throwing shit at me. Um, this guy also has no trouble in um, deceive, and he, he's he's uh, steeped in deception. Uh, he His ability to try to run a con on you about whether he's here, there, doing one thing or another. He's going to be very practiced at this.
1: What really, and it has since the very beginning, because this, what is this, an hour or 45 minutes? I forget how long this interview is. I listen to it over and over and over. And every time he sits there and says, if I knocked you up. And I feel like it's a threat to Heather. I just feel like it's a threat. And if you had seen, um, cause a,
0: he wasn't sitting there. We were standing up outside in the street in front of his mama's house. And, um, I'm a very confident, strong person and scared of you kind of way. And, um, there were a couple times throughout that interview that he really got into my space to where um, even as, you know, um, strong as I do consider myself, I had to take a step back.
2: I, I'm going to tell you something. This is kind of an anecdote. I practiced law at one time in the roughest neighborhood in Nashville, uh, right across the river from the Justice Center in a, that's Main Street in Nashville. That turns into Gallatin Pike for people that know the city. And uh the car wash that was next to my law office probably had more drug transactions than any other single location in Nashville. I'll never forget I went into the office one morning and a a, a guy came running by me and threw uh down at my feet a tubular uh bag that had a substance that was white and powdery and looked to be cocaine. And Took off running down the sidewalk. Three officers in foot pursuit came around my office building, ran right by me, and said, Long, don't, don't, don't lose those drugs. Anyway, this guy, I have defended this guy hundreds of times, maybe thousands of times. I've interacted with this guy or guys like him many, many, many times. And, you know, there's this guy, I get such a clear profile of this person just by listening to him talk on on his tape, he reminds me, I had one client in my career that I was visibly, I was afraid of him. And you got to remember, I was Fletcher Long.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And this guy I reminds mean, he, you of him? I mean, uh, he he does a little bit. And, wow. uh, I mean, for, for someone you know, I, I ate breakfast with criminals. I ate criminals for breakfast. It didn't, <laughs> you know, for me to be afraid of someone, there was a client, I'll never forget it, and I knew when, he came, when I came into my office that I, was, uh, that I was staring into the cold, dead stare of a killer. And he had come into my office. What he had done is he had killed a guy at a park. And it was all over the news that morning. This guy had been shot in a park. And he was in a, and he was in a coma. Wow! And he had killed a guy in a park. And he had come to my office to retain me. And he told me, he said, I said, well, what are you, you going to turn yourself in? He said, no, I'm not going to turn myself in. I said, this dude's in a coma, he, he tells me. And if he dies, I mean, there's no, nobody saw me shoot him. I mean, if he dies, that's it. But I'm paying you in case he doesn't, you know, and, but I knew looking at this guy that this guy could kill me and have breakfast. Not even think twice about it. Yeah. But not even, not even, and I could see it. And, and I don't see this guy's eyes. I, I don't see this guy's eyes. But I hear the neighborhood, I hear the street around him, I hear the horn, you know. I hear his terminology, I hear his phraseology, and this guy is not too different from the defendant. The only defendant that I ever had in nearly twenty years of high-profile criminal defense work. I mean, I most of my clients had nicknames. You, you, yeah. you Tracy, you. Well, and he
0: Heather does. Know he this. does too. His he oh,
2: does I'm too. I'm sure he does. <laughs> I'm sure yeah. he
0: does yeah in fact um you know uh this i didn't i didn't include this part of the clip i had to cut down you know over an hour worth of audio into about 5 minutes so that we weren't you know uh ending up with a 2 hour podcast but um one of the things that he says uh in a letter to kelly is he's telling her that when he gets out he's going to be um leaving twerk behind and coming out as william um and so he's in his mind he has associated the evil side of him uh with this alter ego with that he calls
1: twerk. yes yeah,
0: yes so i i think that the way Um, because, you know, and he, he talks about how twerk is this bad, you know, evil person, but he left him behind and then he goes on. Yes. In jail. And when he came out, he was just William. And, um, and then he goes on to talk about, um, that Satan did this, the devil himself killed, killed Kelly. Well, my first thought was, okay, he separated who he is as a person from this alter ego of who he was on the street. Mm-hmm. And then he, and he's talking about how Twerk was such which, a bad, which evil, you know, evil person. Which makes everything he did
2: under this other identity
1: not his right. fault. It's not he his fault. It's not relatable to him. Yes. Distance, because it wasn't him, him. It yeah. was
0: the devil. Yes. So
1: when he denies it, he's denying it as William. Right. If she was talking to Twerk, Right, twerk did it all,
0: and he says in the interview, he says, uh, "When I ask him about leaving twerk in jail, he saw twerk's dead. Twerk died a long time ago.'
2: Well, I think he's alive and well. But any, the, the that's one reason, and Tracy, yeah. you know yeah. this. That's one reason that lie detector tests. The results of lie detector tests are are inadmissible because there are people who there. There was this funny line from uh from Seinfeld. When George, uh, uh, when Jerry was was gonna have to take a lie detector test about watching Knots Landing because his girlfriend was a police officer, and he he didn't want her to discover that he watched Knots Landing, so he goes to the master of all lies, George Costanza, to find out how to beat this lie detector test. Well, Costanza at first tells him, "Well, I'm not gonna tell you, you know, because I'm the Michelangelo of of sociopaths and." You know I'm not going to give away my trade secret, and Jerry gets mad and starts to leave the restaurant and That's when George tells him he as he's walking out the door he says he says, Jerry, remember it's not a lie if you believe it. Well, there's so many people involved in criminal enterprise that can compartmentalize their lives. I'm this person in the street because the street requires this person, and I'm this person at home because at home I don't have to be the person I am in the street, and they're they're able to compartmentalize these things. And believe and and make themselves believe that they're good on the one hand, and the side on the other hand where they're evil is not even their fault with which to begin because the streets require it.
1: Well, we all do that. We do it when we work cases because we cannot sit there and think about these cases and go on. We've got to go to birthday parties. We've got you know we've got grandkids. We've got kids. We. need have to we all do that especially the victim's parents the victim's parents have to do that too and we all do it even watching the news you watch uh like this case you listen to this case. you have to you have to learn to shut it off to an extent but evil does it in an evil way right
0: in a sinister way um okay so you know Um, Note that in the interview, um, William points to the foreigners who own the market down the street from Kelly's apartment. And, uh, you know, as the perpetrators, the the people that he thinks killed Kelly after they helped her fix her car after he put Snickers in her tank. Hey, I found it interesting, Um,
2: too. He was so consumed with whom helped her fill her car or fix her car. Because yeah, because, he's because yeah, he's yeah. Just, he knows that she's used her sexuality to get a man to rescue the babe in the woods from the uh, Snickers in the tank, see? Or that's what Twerk thinks. That's what Twerk thinks. That's right. That's what Twerk thinks. And, and that gives Twerk all the motive he needs to handle his business. You, you know, I've got to handle my business. Well, that gives him the motive to handle his business. Because after all, he screwed up her car. She gets it fixed. Where'd you get the money, Kelly? Where'd you, where'd you get the
1: money, right. Kelly? You know. Oh, and he was evil when he said that. Where'd you get the money, Kelly? Yeah,
0: that, that anger certainly. Um, yes. Yeah, it did. It seeped through. Um, but so there's that. That's his his suggestion as to who did it. Um, and then here's another curveball for you. Um, if you remember, uh, Kelly was scheduled to wait tables at Bic Hops that day. That she was murdered and she was sent home because they didn't need her. Well, Big Hops is the biological brother of the woman that William shot and dumped in Shawnee Park. Um, now that's that's Beatrice. I did what? Yes, 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 Beatrice. Um, and I did interview Big Hops. Um, he's uh, I, I liked him. Um, I didn't see anything. Um, I didn't find anything suspicious about him. Um, he was very willing to help me. In fact, to the point where, you know, he admitted that he's got a lot of street cred around there. And he said, if I needed him to go with me to question people, he would obviously wouldn't be a good idea for him to go with me to question William. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, some of the other people he did offer and that never came to fruition, but the the offer was there. um, But he had been so upset over his sister's murder that um, he had admittedly gone out looking for William and was going to kill him. Um, But he says that he had kind of this, you know, come to Jesus moment where he, you know, decided to leave it to God. That's what he says. Um, But it is definitely a curveball. And while everything, Points to William. Uh, if there was anything in my mind that that I did have to think about for a moment, it was you know whether it was possible that Hops, um, you know, had something to do with it somehow.
2: Well, well, I'll tell you, ladies, this too. Uh, it the a criminal that gets away with the crime, and we we've discussed this phenomena already, but it's worthy of a second mention. When they get away with a crime, they almost have to tell somebody that they did it you know that's exactly what happened uh with uh perry march is that you know he had to in order to build for himself a street cred he had to take credit uh for it and and this guy i think he did this kind of he did it to 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 kelly when he wrote her and made reference as a warning that what happened to this person could happen to you. I think he kind of did it with you when he wanted to meet you at Shawnee Park, uh, you know, at a place where one of the killings occurred. And I think that was a subtle... If there's one thing that I've seen in people that are that are street-wise, because there's a brilliance in the street. Make that, a
0: threat without actually making a threat.
2: They know how to make a threat. Right. You know, without making the threat. You see yep. what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, they're they're really good at that. So... I think that um, I think that that's what you're seeing here is he will continue uh, going forward, Heather, he will continue. He will ma- he will reference getting away with killing Kelly somewhere in his life. I mean, you, you'll have to be lucky enough to, to be around the person that will tell you, but he'll do it. He's done it and he will continue to do it.
0: hmm. hmm. Yep. And uh, Tracy had mentioned this earlier. Uh did, Tracy, did you want to say something real quick?
1: Yes, I did. I did. Um, on the interview, mm-hmm. he talks about a foreigner that stabbed a woman in, the, in a car. Yeah, And he kept yep. stabbing her and stabbing her. Yet, he can't remember certain things. Mm-hmm. But he has direct recall mm-hmm. on this yeah. foreigner that stabbed this person. And I believe, just like Fletcher just spoke about, that that was actually him stabbing this person. Right. I believe he is confessing to this, not confessing to get it off his chest, but confessing being sly and kind indirectly and confessing. I
2: think I think he's I think he's bragging. I think that's what it is. Is that they. Yeah. And they, they don't have any reticence they, they don't they don't have a reservation about ending the human life it's it's a commodity yes. that's traded in the street to get where they want to go and to have the reputation they want to have and to be able to trade in the manners in which they wish to trade and they don't have any they don't have any reticence about doing it and i think it's more of a you know this is what i can do and i can do it to you
1: bravado bravado and the
0: interesting thing too is that you know it's almost like he's, uh, you know, trying to, in so many ways say, you know, the foreigners use knives, but you know, I use a gun, like that sort of idea. Well,
1: manipulation. Yeah. Manipulation. Right. Like I,
0: I would never, I would never use a knife. I would use a gun or something of that. That, right. that was kind of the, that was the kind of the, um, the message I think that he was trying to send by, you know, pointing at the foreigners saying, you know, they're the ones that use guns. Right. But, um, uh, Fletcher, what do you think before we, before we wrap it up, what do you think what kind of challenges would the prosecution face in this case if they were to decide to go after this guy?
2: Well, probably the biggest challenge is you don't have a, uh, you, you don't have a, a witness that you really know about. You're going to ask the court to allow you to put into evidence incidences that are unrelated to the incident on trial. and and you're going to have to find a way to make that admissible because you can't admit it for the purpose of showing that he has a propensity to do these type of things because, because that's, that's not admit, that's not copacetic. You can't walk into court and say, well, Johnny killed this per, Johnny hit this person in the eye at recess because Johnny's just a bad kid. And that's the kind of crap Johnny does. You know, that's who Johnny is. That stuff works at school but it doesn't work in a court of law. You have to be able to show that there's some connection between it. And uh, there's several ways you can try to do it. You you could try to go in there and say, well, it shows that the that it, it establishes his modus operandi, his method of operation. Uh it it shows it goes to his state of mind. I'm not, you know, it goes to showing that he was in a murderous state of mind and why. It shows that he had motive. You know, it 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 shows several several things, you know, you can try to you can try to get it past the court's uh, evidentiary rulings and get it admitted for the purpose of of, of having it weighed against him, making it admissible. Um, but the difficulty in trying this case from a prosecutor's standpoint is that nobody saw him do it. Uh, uh, he, th- they don't have a mur- they don't have a murder weapon. They got a footprint that's not going to come in. The fact that there is a footprint, uh, the court's going. You know, the ju- the the attorney. Uh, and I'm just relying on my doctorate in jurisprudence. The attorney would file some sort of a motion, asking the court to exclude the footprint because they can't they can't connect it up to the person on trial. And if you if you allow the footprint in, and if the jury were to speculate that it must be the defendant's shoe, well, now you know you've got a you've got a conviction that doesn't have any you know it's 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 not evidentially solid. You know, it's not a solid conviction because they've speculated that this footprint has to be this guy's foot when they don't have any any proof to 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 connect it to him see and so you, you'd have to get a I think you'd have to go get a warrant to obtain his DNA and I think you'd have to hope that there was some DNA on some of the point of entry uh maybe there was some DNA uh where the window was broken some DNA on the decedent that they collected Another part of it, another problem with it, Heather, is that I don't know how well the louisville police department the detectives in question, I don't know how well they investigated this even if they did investigate it. I don't know how thorough of their I don't know how thorough of police work they attributed to this, whether or not they're guilty of police
0: malpractice, if you will. can't tell you
1: well, it was handed off and handed off I don't know how many people had it heather
0: uh the first detective I talked to um, said that it had been handed to him from, uh, the previous detective and that he hadn't even had a chance to look at it yet. And then right after I spoke to him, another guy took over. And so when I talked to him, I I did get him interested in the case he met me a couple times. I handed over the letters. We discussed the DNA and um I can't remember how long it took. We sent him the statement analysis. We did run a statement analysis on Williams interview. There were a lot of red flags. Um and we sent the statement analysis and um uh he got all of the reports, everything that I had went to him including the letters. And he was trying to find out if they would run the DNA again, from what I understand. And when he came back, he said, no, there, there wasn't enough evidence to, um, to do all that again, is what he told us. And this is after we had waited.
2: The police's fear, Heather, is that we send off these incidences with the DNA that we think is, is, DNA is on there, and it either comes back inconclusive which now I've got to give this to the defendant because it's now Brady material, or it comes back to someone, to an unknown male subject, and it doesn't come back to the person on trial. And now you've got the government pretty much acquitting the guy, you know, because right, both of right. those instances. And then you
0: can't, then you can never try him because, yeah. Yeah. Now now he's
2: really screwed. I'm going to tell you this. the uh, uh, There was a police department, a large police department in a place where I used to regularly practice. And I practiced in Clarksville, Springfield, In Nashville, primarily, so you can pick. I really practiced all over the state of Tennessee, but let's just say this: there was one police department that I regularly with which I with whom I regularly worked that had almost an unwritten policy because they would have never written it that said we're not going to perform any test if we think that it could even possibly exculpate the defendant because that's not our job. Now, I vehemently disagreed with that. I think their job is to find the truth. But they think but most prosecutors think their job is to gain a conviction, which is why that, that that's why that's why we get in trouble is is because they think their job is to gain a conviction instead of finding the answer I think their job is to work the problem and, and arrive at and arrive at the solution they think their job is to arrive at a solution then work the problem in such a way as to prove their right
1: yeah i and and in, I believe in those many cases but in this case they not, they're not going to oh they got this they're guy <laughs> this they're not
2: yeah, I can't believe they're I can't believe they're, they're not gonna not try this bother. case, Tracy. It's just, I, I really can't' it's
1: just too much out- run the dog on DNA run it. run it, run it,
0: run it. yeah, yep, and that's a really good closing point, I think I think that's uh that says it all right there. I mean, everything that we've discussed um if they ran the DNA and uh, and got a match, I mean, there it is.
2: There, there it is. is. I'm going to tell y'all this. This is just, y'all, y'all have asked me to, to do this show with you because you want whatever amount of ex- ex- expertise mm-hmm. I can muster. Yes,
1: sir. <laughs> and
2: uh, I'm going to tell you this. Uh, this guy uh, killed this girl. Um, I I don't know if I could, I don't know if the proof is beyond a reasonable doubt, yeah. but that's not, I'm not trying this in a court. I mean, right. this is truth be told,
0: yeah. this
2: guy yeah. killed her.
0: And and I mean, I am, I'm not even an attorney. I'm not even close to an attorney, uh, you know, beyond being a private investigator and a paralegal. But, you know, that's a far stretch. Well, from you an know, attorney.
2: at this, at present, at present, you're more attorney than I. So there you go. Well,
0: <laughs> well it, I mean, anyway, but I, I don't even know what to say to that. But um, the thing is that, you know, I do know. Um, In my heart of hearts, that if they ever took this to a civil court, uh, I can't see how they wouldn't win it for a wrongful death case.
2: And, you know, that's a different burden of proof. That's Mm -hmm. not a beyond a reasonable doubt burden. It's a a probability burden, and I think you're right about that. But the
0: statute is long since passed, so...
2: Um, well, I mean, or, wait.
0: you know what? Are you, what are you going to win?
2: I mean, let's yeah. you, you know you win a $33 billion dollar verdict against a drug dealer who's got who's probably who's <laughs> de- probably never paid taxes in his life, yeah. has yeah. no discernible income, uh, well, now, is probably on every financial assistance available uh, to man. Uh,
0: well,
1: and, let me let me
0: say though, um, and this is another part of the interview that that was not played, but he he is actually um, employed at a. At a Fairly respectable company, and prior to that, he was a floor tech at a hospital. So, can I say?
2: Can I say too that that's also not uh, uncommon for a drug dealer? Which we know he's a drug dealer. He he said he was a drug dealer. Yeah. In yeah. in, in the interview with you, so we'll right. we'll credit we will credit that <laughs> uh, testimony there. We'll we'll right. we'll call him we'll 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 paint him candid there, mm-hmm. but it's not uncommon for a, a drug dealer to have a Joe job. And to file a tax return,
1: mm-hmm.
2: based not, not based on what they make illegally, but right. based on their Joe Jobs uh, uh, pay. I, I had a client one time who couldn't believe it, that the federal government wanted to try him for money laundering because he paid taxes. And when I looked at his tax returns, he had never reported more than $20,000 of income a year in his life. This guy owned seven houses. He owned 12 Porsches. He owned 50 Rolexes, <laughs> and, and, you know, and I just, yeah. I just wanted to look at him back in the day, you know, back in the day when yeah. I was a lawyer, I wanted to look at him and say, good God, man, you can't afford all this on $20,000 a year. Of course, of course yeah. they think you're money laundering. How I mean, you <laughs>
0: even eat on $20,000 a year. I mean, this
2: guy ate damn well. Yeah. Uh, this guy, <laughs> this guy afforded things you and I of which we could only dream to afford. Right. Right. So, well,
0: some people, you know, what do we call it? Stupid criminals. People think they can get away with things that are just common sense. I mean, come on.
2: Well, I, I can tell you this. There are so many laws on the books. The truth be told, we each commit about six felonies a day. And I've that's been written somewhere. But I mean, there a lot of them are offenses. Oh, I, hey, these are offenses that you can't believe are even illegal. But I'm telling you, if you do some research, you'll find out that each of us commit about six felonies a day. And a lot of times it comes down to what they, uh, you know, but not all felonies are alike, you know, right, obviously, right. you know, you go take something, but you take something out of someone's mailbox, that's a federal offense, yes, yes, <laughs> but it's yes. not the same thing as a murder. I'm not trying to paint it as the same thing, but, no. uh, uh, I, th- th- this guy here, you're, if you, if the, if the government wants to get you, the government will get you. And, uh, I think there's a lot of people around government today that are about to learn that if the government wants you, they're going to get you. Oh, yeah. So.
1: Yep. Fletcher, your homework is to listen to the entire interview. Yeah, I'm, I think he already has. Have yeah, I I have listened oh, I've listened to it. I've listened to it. Oh, from the beginning to the end? Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you know exactly what
2: we're talking yeah. yes,
1: about. Yes, yeah. yes, I do. But um, and okay, it, and, and
2: listening to it has formed a lot of my opinions today. Even so, it, it's the substance of my opinion today, even where I haven't identified it as the substance of my opinion. But
0: all right, I'm I I think you did a really good job. I'm I'm quite proud, both of you. I think you both did a great job. But so I want to so proud of you. Oh, thank you, Tracy. I love you. You're the best. Um, so. Um, I'm sorry, my cats are about to get into a... I don't know if you heard that, but... I heard a hiss. I thought that was you. (laughs) Um, So let me close with this. Um, If you have information, questions, or comments about the murder of Raquel Jackson and her unborn son, please call 1-866-465-0888 or you can contact the Louisville Homicide Department. Um, this is the conclusion of part one of the final report of the brutal slaying of Raquel Jackson and her unborn son we do plan to follow up in uh, a a couple weeks probably and um, for next week we're going to be discussing the disappearance of Nico Lisi Um, so I'll be uploading everything to the platform and are you guys ready ready All right. well let's get to work and I will see you guys next
1: week Bye. All right. Bye, everybody.